This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I very much regret that I can't be there in person to give this talk, um, and I certainly send my best to everyone. The starting point for this talk is the notion that the human mind has evolved to be able to anticipate and plan into the future. The downside is that we sometimes stress ourselves out and get caught up in fear and anxiety by imagining uh, and anticipating negative things that will never happen. This was depicted by Robert Sapolsky in his book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Uh, But what goes on in our brains and bodies when this is happening? So I'm going to speak to you via this PowerPoint about a new way of looking not only at stress, but at experiences in general whether or not we call them stressful, and how they affect both the brain and the body and shape the human mind. This involves epigenetics, referring to mechanisms that express what is in our DNA to shape us as individuals over our life course and hopefully instill us in us the capacity for resilience. So what is stress? There is positive stress, acceleration from a challenge that has a satisfying outcome after giving a talk or passing an exam. There's tolerable stress um, when bad things happen, and um, and yet we can show resilience and uh, and and move on in our lives. For both of these, we need to have good self-esteem, good sense of mastery and control in our lives. But then there's toxic stress, uh, where there is a lack of this sense of mastery and control, and one can feel helpless. Poor self-esteem is probably a factor. Uh, Lack of social and emotional support from friends and family. Uh, But also there may be what we can call compromised brain architecture uh, due to the effects of early life adversity. Not everything is called stress, and experiences uh, related to uh, social isolation, uh, circadian disruption as in jet lag, shift work, just simply being deprived of sleep, living in an ugly, noisy, polluted neighborhood with a lack of green space, uh, and of course our health-damaging behaviors, diet, exercise, and uh, alcohol and smoking, All of these get under the skin and dysregulate our our physiology. This uh, slide uh, highlights a term called the exposome, which is really the sum total of of our experiences uh, and uh, which an environment that provide opportunities but also limit what we can do. It also points out that the brain is the central organ of stress and, and adaptation to it determines those health behaviors, influences physiology, enables us to adapt or to uh, become dysregulated in what we refer to as as allostatic load and reflects the experiences over our entire lives. Allostatic overload refers to the fact that the same mediators like cortisol and adrenaline and metabolic hormones and the immune system that allow us to adapt and survive can also cause damage when they are overused and out of balance with each other 
the metaphor of heavyweights on the seesaw uh, illustrates that. The system may maintain its balance for a while, keep homeostasis, but eventually there is a breakdown, a wear and tear, uh, a disorder. So we often talk about an inverted U-shaped dose response curve describing both the beneficial and the deleterious effects of the same mediators. As a, as a heads up for later on, uh, this slide again uh, points out the importance of, of uh, individual differences early in life, especially adverse experiences early in life that can uh, determine a trajectory for our entire lives that may increase uh, our vulnerability to, uh, to various disorders. Now we come to epigenetics which speaks to how genes are regulated by experiences that are mediated in part by hormones and other chemical mediators in the brain and body. Epigenetics shakes, shapes individuals, and it does so through a number of, of uh, mechanisms, including transcription factors, non-coding RNAs, the phenomenon of RNA editing, the methylation of cytosine residues uh, in the DNA, and modifications of histones. The genes that we have determine what is possible. Let's look at what happens to a pair of identical twins uh, because of what are called non-shared experiences. Uh, early in life, uh, children, uh, the twins show very similar patterns of methylation of DNA uh, shown on the left. But when the twin twins are in their 50s, there are considerable differences because of the fact that they haven't always experienced the same things and certainly not at the same time. This is a reflection of how uh, experiences shape individuals, even individuals that have exactly the same DNA. Experiences via epigenetic mechanisms cause ongoing remodeling of the developing and adult brain that involve not only changes in gene expression, but also structural changes that are seen in dendrites, synapses, uh, and limited amounts of neurogenesis in the hippocampal region uh, of the adult and developing. Hormones and other systemic mediators of the metabolic and immune system play a mediating role in this brain plasticity. Stress, sex, and thyroid hormones enter the brain, and they bind to receptors and influence neuronal activity, gene expression, and alter neuronal architecture. To do this, uh, metabolic hormones like leptin, ghrelin, IGF-1, and insulin uh, have largely pro-cognitive and protective effects. Yet, as we'll see, when there is resistance to these actions because of disease processes, then other things, uh, not so good things, happen. The brain also contains cells called microglia related to the immune system and also responds to immune system cells and chemicals in a way that are just now being revealed. We discovered a number of years ago that the hippocampus, a brain region involved in memory and we now know mood regulation, has receptors for glucocorticoids like cortisol. This discovery actually provided a gateway into discoveries by us and by many other laboratories that the hippocampus and other brain regions for higher 
brain functions uh, like the amygdala, the prefrontal cortex, the nuclei accumbens, have receptors and respond to sex, stress, and metabolic hormones uh, as and immune system um, chemicals, and also hormones even from the bone and the muscle. Stress induces the secretion of glucocorticoids and the release of excitatory amino acid neurotransmitters, and these have biphasic effects on the hippocampus, that is, uh, they promote, as we'll see, uh, re structural remodeling, which has uh, is not damage. But in the extreme, seizures cause irreversible damage uh, and neuronal loss to these CA3 pyramidal cells. While, as I said, repeated stress actually leads to reversible debranching of apical dendrites that we think is actually a protective response against permanent irreversible damage. One uh, bit, bit of evidence for this is that hibernating hamsters that are low on energy resources show a rapid dendrite shrinkage of the CA3 neurons within hours and an equally rapid regrowth when aroused, which is an important ability in order to protect them from danger. Translational studies on the human hippocampus uh, have shown shrinkage of the hippocampus with major depression, also in diabetes, in post-traumatic stress disorder, and in Cushing's disease, uh, and also, of course, in dementia. Of course, the hippocampus also changes without disease processes in uh, chronic stress over many years, uh, in chronic jet lag, uh, as for air crews who have regular uh, in international flights, with lack of exercise, uh, and also with chronic inflammation, which is a common denominator of many of the disorders like depression and diabetes and PTSD and Cushing's disease. The good news is that when people in their, uh, even in their 60s and 70s, walk an hour a day, five out of seven days a week, uh, as in this study from the University of Illinois, over the six months to a year, the hippocampus actually gets larger, cognitive function improves, mood improves, regular exercise is, is a, is a well-recognized antidepressant for mild uh, and moderate depression. And what's remarkable, um, based on animal studies, is that uh, the increase in neurogenesis, which is would be one of the factors that enlarges the hippocampus, uh, actually requires uh, a hormone from the liver, namely IGF-1. Uh, in animal studies, blockade of that uh, hormone by putting in immunoneutralizing it actually prevents exercise from stimulating neurogenesis. And there are other systemic factors uh, that also appear to be involved, required, shall we say, for exercise to increase neurogenesis. I mentioned the metabolic hormones before. I'll just remind you again that in states of, uh, <clears throat> for example, insulin resistance or uh, leptin resistance, uh, the brain uh, begins to malfunction. Insulin resistance is associated with uh, with diabetes. It's also associated with a specific form of depressive illness, and has uh, and people with the, these conditions have an increased likelihood of developing dementia, 
uh, because of this dysregulation that also affects the overflow of excitatory amino acids that can cause ultimately cause irreversible damage. So here we have the inverted U-shaped dose response curve in which we have uh, on the upside uh, the enhancement by moderate levels of cortisol and these excitatory amino acid transmitters that are so important in the brain, enhancement of cognitive function, but more intense activity can actually impair these same functions, as we sometimes say, stress makes you stupid. Uh, there is the adaptive plasticity I've referred to, uh, described already. There is the damage potentiation with seizure, stroke, and head trauma, which are very real and part of the downside of the inverted U. And of course, brain aging is associated with extra glutamate and, and inflammation. Uh, and degeneration of these um, brain, of brain structures. Um, and then uh, the loss of ability to show resilience and recovery after a challenge, for example, after a st stressful experience, instead of spontaneous recovery, if the state of anxiety pertains, then one has an anxiety disorder and, and there needs to be external intervention, either pharmacologically or behaviorally or both. The hippocampus is not the only brain structure that is affected by these stressful and other experiences. The amygdala uh, actually turns on stress hormones and and increases heart rate. It's the nexus of anxiety and fear. Uh, and, and neurons in the amygdala actually grow uh, and become more active even while neurons in the hippocampus are shrinking. In the prefrontal cortex, which is important for uh, self-regulation of our behavior, mood and, and impulse regulation, decision-making, working memory, the prefrontal cortex also shuts off the stress response. And so these brain structures are involved both in the systemic responses to stressors as well as in cognitive and, and other functions. And there is rearrangement of their architecture as well. So far, we haven't considered whether males and females differ, and indeed they do in many of the things I have discussed. Sex differences involve not only hormonal programming, but also uh, genes on the X and Y chromosomes and the mitochondrial DNA, which we inherit from our mothers. Uh, in fact, the entire brain has receptors for sex hormones in both the male and female, both types of sex hormones, androgens and estrogens in both males and females. Many of these receptors mediate what we call non-genomic effects that change the cytoskeleton, uh, modulate neurotransmitter release, uh, affect how mitochondria buffer calcium ions, which is very important to maintain uh, free radicals at a moderate level. And uh, also there are cell, uh, nucle cell nuclear effects, that is genomic effects, uh, in inhibitory interneurons that regulate excitatory neuron activity. One example of how males and females differ in a part of the brain that we never suspected would be affected um, differently um, is has to do with the uh, stress-induced debranching of dendrites in the male, 
uh, of neurons in the prefrontal cortex that project to other cortical regions. They shrink with repeated stress in the male, but in the female brain uh, under chronic, the same chronic stress, these neurons do not shrink. But then there are neurons from the prefrontal cortex which project to the amygdala, and uh, these uh, don't change with chronic stress in the male, but the, the dendrites of those neurons in the female that project to the amygdala actually expand their dendrites under chronic stress, but only when there are estrogens on board. Because this is so surprising and because there are sex hormone receptors in many parts of the brain, we suspect that there are many other subtle sex differences that are yet to be discovered. And indeed, males and females handle many of the same things with similar outcomes, but uh, looking at how the human brain, human male and female brain, handles uh, challenges, it turns out that they use somewhat different circuitry, probably related to the underlying sex differences, some of which I have just uh, described in this slide. Another aspect of uh, plasticity and resilience is that when uh, dendrites shrink uh, uh, with repeated stress in the middle and then recover on the right, the shrinkage has occurred from the more distal parts of the dendrites further out, but the recovery occurs more proximally to the cell body. So these are different neurons than they were before stress, and yet functionally they appear to do many of the same things. So the brain is continually changing, and, and that's we haven't addressed so far the uh, effects of early life adversity uh, on brain development, brain-body interactions. Uh, I promised you earlier that I would talk about this, and indeed a major focus of, of ongoing work in our laboratory has to do uh, with the effects of, of early life deprivation and uh, my participation in the National Scientific Council on the Developing Child also uh, means that I'm involved in thinking about this in, in human terms as well. An experiment um, on this next slide where the mother, uh, in this case mouse, also rat, is deprived somewhat of the bedding so that she becomes less attentive and irregular in caring for her pups. They develop uh, behavioral alterations, increased levels of anxiety, uh, and uh, and if one looks, as we did here, at how the hippocampus responds to, uh, epigenetically, uh, gene expression responses, uh, it turns out that animals subjected to early life stress have a more restricted response uh, that, uh, to, to experiences later in life. Um, this has implications then. There are studies, as many of you know, in the human with early life stress having uh, effects to alter the ability of the human brain uh, to respond uh, in the same way. And of course, then we come to uh, the developmental issues where uh, children experience adversity. Um, and this involves uh, abuse, neglect, uh, living in, in chaos and uncertainty, and also the effects of poverty. Many of these things overlap with each other. Uh, the consequences of which include greater helplessness and distress and poor self-regulatory behaviors that can lead to such things as substance abuse, 
uh, mood uh, anxiety disorders. And uh, in terms of brain development, um, indications are that uh, these various forms of adversity can alter the development of the prefrontal cortex, uh, poverty leading to smaller uh, amounts of gray matter, a smaller hippocampus, and um, the uh, neglect of children, lack of stimulation by their parents results in development of a smaller vocabulary, which has implications for their ability to, to function in society and education. And then there are systemic effects such as elevated blood pressure, cardiovascular reactivity, <clears throat> and uh, later on cardiovascular disease, uh, depression, diabetes, uh, substance abuse, and, and antisocial behavior. Um, so the, when the brain is programmed for uncertainty, uh, there is uh, increased vigilance, amygdala reactivity, and the a reduced capacity for uh, proactive, what we call proactive planning. The question is, can this be changed uh, later in life? And the answer is, we hope so, that the uh, capacity for uh, showing uh, plasticity, brain plasticity, combined with particular windows uh, of opportunity, such as adolescence, uh, the early life, including also the mother, the pregnant mother, um, transition to adulthood, family formation, and even retirement. These are opportunities for interventions that can uh, improve uh, the trajectory towards a healthier life. So to summarize what I have told you, First, I've told you that experiences shape individuals epigenetically within what our genes will allow. That there is something called adaptive plasticity of the healthy brain that requires ongoing interactions with the body. Allostasis and allostatic load and overload uh, reflect the biphasic nature of the mediators, which uh, uh, epigenetic mediators, uh, that is, uh, which can. Uh, help us adapt. On the other hand, when overused and dysregulated, they can cause uh, problems. It's very important, of course, that there are sex differences which permeate the entire brain, allowing males and females to uh, use different strategies, uh, but often with similar outcomes in problem solving um, throughout life. Also, there is the continuity of the life course, including transgenerational epigenetic effects that I've uh, mentioned. And in particular, early life adversity redirects and limits the responses uh, to experiences. But because of ongoing adaptive plasticity, uh, windows of opportunity uh, are present throughout the life course that allow interventions specific for that stage of the life course, in many cases, to have beneficial effects. Collaborators and colleagues are shown here an enormous number. I can't possibly go through all the names, but obviously they're uh, the ones who deserve uh, credit for many of the things that uh, I've talked about. I also want to acknowledge the MacArthur Network for Socioeconomic Status and Health, the National Scientific Council for the Developing Child, which uh, is ongoing uh, now, and the Hope for Depression Research Foundation. 
uh, that uh, supports uh, some of our ongoing current research. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.